You're listening to a sermon from Free City Church in Lawrence, Kansas. We exist to extend the glory of God by making disciples through the gospel of Jesus Christ. This morning, we are going to be reading from John 1. So today's scripture is John 1, 1 through 18, and then verse 29. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to bear witness about the light that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but came to bear witness about the light. The true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, And we have seen his glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. John bore witness about him and cried out, This was he of whom I said, He who comes after me ranks before me, because he was before me. For from his fullness we have all received grace upon grace. For the law was given through Moses, grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God, the only God, who is at the Father's side. He has made him known. This is verse 29. The next day he saw Jesus coming toward him and said, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. This is the word of the Lord. Pray with me. God, thank you so much for the privilege that we have to gather together to look at your word um, and to hear from you this morning. And so, God, I just ask that you would calm our hearts and our minds that you would help us just to be still and to hear your words. I ask that you would just speak through Casey as he brings your word to us. Um, And God, yeah, just help us to receive the word that you have for us. Um, I also just want to pray for Central Middle School. Uh, God, I pray for the kids and the teachers and the staff that gather here during the week. Um, And Lord, I just ask that your spirit would be present here, that you would be mighty to save Um, That even as these kids um, learn and are taught in the school, God, would they also come to know you? Um, And I just ask that even our presence being here would be light um, to the the rest of the people that gather here during the week. Um, So God, I just ask that you would be with us this morning in your name. Amen. Well, Merry Christmas. It's not too early. I've been listening to Christmas music for like two weeks, uh, but not out loud. So, um, but uh, Christmas is upon us. I, um, I actually want to, as we're getting started, I, I want to draw attention. So Kara uh, read the scriptures for us and uh, she and Kayla are hosting a Seeing Jesus Together training dinner uh, tonight. And so there's still a little bit of room in that. Um, and so what that is, 
seeing Jesus together is the Bible reading plan uh, that we push upon you, uh, that we invite you in and read the scriptures with us. Uh, man, that's being the same kind of places so we can have conversations about what we see in the scriptures and what questions we might have. And that comes, uh, there's also a journal that you can work that has a progression where it starts kind of where, you know, to identify where you are and then works you through some surrender, gets you to a place where you're reading, where you read and meditate upon the scripture, and then walking through, it says praying with your pen. Just from the text, you know, talking about, man, what in here should I be praising the Lord for? Should I adore him? Uh, what has this challenged me, bring confession in my life? What about thanksgiving and then supplication? And so it's, uh, it's just a way that you can walk through the scriptures together. And so the training dinner... Uh, man, it's going to be fun. Uh, get together with some other people, and they're going to talk about uh, their um, uh, how they walk through the scriptures, and then also talk about their life transformation group, how it works in their life. And so, if that's something you're interested in, or maybe your life transformation group is interested in, man, we invite you to that. And so, uh, if you need information about that, uh, they're going to be at the information table after service. So that was the plug. Uh, now let's get started. Uh, let's take a look at John chapter 1. And through the next four weeks, including this week, we, we are going to be looking at these same verses. And so as we, as we step into Advent, man, we're stepping into a season that we stop. If you just think about the Christian calendar, like we celebrate the birth of Christ and then we celebrate the death and resurrection of Christ. Like we want our, our, our focus to draw to these ideas often. Like what does Christmas mean? What do we get in Christmas? And so, uh, you know, my kids have started to argue with me theologically, which has been really fun actually, but it's also kind of challenging. Uh, my neighbor um, goes out of the way to put lights on his house. Like really out of the way to put lights on his house. And suddenly my kids are like, why don't we put lights on our house? And the answer is because I'm lazy. Um, that's, that's the answer. But they started a theological argument. They said, isn't Jesus the light of the world? Shouldn't we celebrate that? And so I countered that with, well, Jesus is the light of my heart. I celebrate it all the time. And they said, man, you're just putting that under a bushel, you know, and um, don't hide that under a bushel. And so I was like, but at church, we put up a tree. I mean, look how far we went. Um, Man, the Advent season is a season that, you know, year to year we do a little bit differently, but we want to take time to look at the calendar to see what does Christmas mean? I, uh, I had a pastor, a friend uh, ask, you know, what do we do during Advent? And I told him about our tree and uh, he wasn't super impressed. Um, but I told him, I was like, hey, we're going to be in John 1. 1 through 18 and verse 29 for the next four weeks. Because John gives a Christmas story that sometimes we don't think of as a Christmas story because he leaves out all the details of the night, but he skips the details of the night to talk about the presents that come with Christmas. What is unwrapped in the person of Jesus? 
When I was a kid, uh, man, I have this, this memory over and over, man, wake up early Christmas morning. We would go downstairs to survey the presents under the tree and kind of count them up. And then we'd go wake up our parents because we couldn't open them up without our parents. And then our parents would come in and my dad would slowly go over to the fireplace and he would pick up the big hunter green uh, King James version of the Bible and he would open up either to Luke most likely or maybe sometimes Matthew to tell the Christmas story. And I don't really remember if it was the Luke account or, or the Matthew account because all I remember were the thee, thou's and thine's of the King James version. And all I could remember was it was so hard to pay attention when I was just wondering what is under the tree for me and why do both of my sisters have more presence than me? And so in a similar way, John, he, he skips the details of the night. You know, if we looked at Matthew's account, like Matthew starts off in the genealogy and he looks at the genealogy of Jesus's adopted father, Joseph. And what he does is he works all the way back to Abraham, to the founder of the great promise that God came and said, through you, there will be a great nation and from you will be a blessing for all people, which came true in Christmas. You know, the Matthew account, it keeps going. And, and what we see is, you know, it, it, it steps into, you know, Joseph and Mary's conflict. She's found to be pregnant. And in his broken heart, he decides to end the engagement quietly. But he gets visited by an angel and the angel says, take her as your wife. For what she is conceived of is not from man, but from the Holy Spirit of God, which I'm sure that didn't make any sense to him. And I'm sure that that didn't bring a whole lot of consolation because people are still going to talk. But the angel said, take her. And he did. And so then, you know, what follows is the wise men and their gifts in chapter two. And then Joseph and Mary's fearful flight to Egypt because King Herod decides to go on a genocidal slaughter of all the boys. And so what we see even in the first Christmas is, man, Christmas in this life is never going to be strife free. Christmas is not a promise that your life will be strife free, but it is a promise that the God of the universe has entered into the difficulty of this life and he's establishing a kingdom here and he is recreating all things to be new, rebirthing them. But he's honest, two kingdoms in one land will bring conflict. And so that, that's the Matthew account. Or we get details in the Luke account. Like it's kind of similar, but it starts with the foretelling of John the Baptist. And so he skips over yeah, the genealogy. He does that in chapter three because Luke knows everyone's going to skip it anyways. But the genealogy in chapter three, it follows Mary's side and it goes all the way back to Adam, all the way back to the very, very beginning when we were in communion with God, which would make us think of how we lost communion with God. And so it starts with John the Baptist and then we see the foretelling of Jesus's birth in chapter one. And then Mary's extended stay with Elizabeth and she has her song of praise there. And man, it makes us realize like, the scandal of life and shame that settles in that God provided a place for her to run and to hide and to be encouraged. 
You know, but then he describes the birth of John the Baptist and Zechari- Zechariah's promise, uh, the birth of Jesus, the angelic announcement to the shepherds, and then Jesus' presentation in the temple with Simeon, who gives a blessing and he gives a prophecy. And if you remember that, like what we see in chapter 2 of Luke and that blessing and in the promise is we see conflict and woundedness. He says, Jesus' establishment of the kingdom is going to bring conflict in this world. And then he looks right at Mary and he says, and your heart will be wounded. Man, the biblical account of Christmas is so realistic. We experience conflict and we experience woundedness. And like the coming of Jesus hasn't ended all of that, but there's a promise inside of it of your kingdom come, God. And that's where John wants to jump. What do we get in the person of Jesus? Mark skips Christmas altogether. Like he's like the Scrooge biblical writer, you know, bah humbug. And a lot of people think John does too, but He doesn't give the details of the night as much as he gives the details of what we get in Jesus. And and so look look down, John chapter 1. This is what it's going to look like for the next four weeks. We're going to focus on a few words that really come out. And so this week we're going to focus Jesus, the word of God, the message that changes everything, the message that we need more than anything else. And then if you look down in the middle of the passage, you see light come out. It starts in verse 5, and then we start to see light and life and all this movement. And so then we're going to focus on Jesus, the light of God. And this light has the power to push back darkness, both in our world and in our souls. And then we're going to focus on Jesus, the gift of God. You see the word receive. And this God made man, he came to accomplish what we can't and to bear what we deserve. And then we're going to end on the fullness of God on display in the person of Jesus here in three weeks. And so what we see is John skips the story to get to the gifts. And my question is, what do you need to unwrap this season? Like, what do you need from the message of Christmas for your soul or for your family, for your very sanity? Like, is there something in the hustle and bustle, in all the difficulty, in the strife that might exist, or the uncertainty that we saw in different accounts of the same story that Jesus entered in, even into the darkness of genocide? What does it mean that God has come to be with us? God with us. Like, is there anything in Jesus for your strife? Is there anything for your conflict? Is there anything for your woundedness? What do we find in Jesus? And so let's let's hop in and let's take a look at this. And so I I have two points. And so first we're going to look at who is Jesus? And John tells us a lot. And that might be my first point next week. Who is Jesus? Because he tells us more. And so if I have the same points, they're not actually the same points. They're close to the same points, but write that down. Who is Jesus? And it's going to say he is the always, the second, and the man. And then we're going to look at what has Jesus come to do. And so let's get started. Who is Jesus? And so the first thing is Jesus is the always. Jesus is the always pre-existing. And so look at verse 1. It says this, In the beginning was the Word. 
Now, the word was, it's a Greek imperative tense, which means that like was carries the idea of continuation. So the feeling was, was, was always wasing, and it's continual. And so I know that's bad English. And I know if you wrote that down, Jesus is the always. Jesus is the always wasing, pre-existing God of the universe. We're not there yet, but he's going to say it very, very plainly. I know if you wrote that down, your English teacher would deduct points. But God would judge your English teacher for deducting points because although it's bad English, it's really good theology. And so the first thing John wants you to know about Christmas is that Jesus is always and forever pre-existent. And so the whole of John's first sentence, like it's out of control, deliberate to say this. And so if we just kind of unpacked it, unpacked the wases here, what we would see is it could sound like this. In the beginning was continually ongoing the word. The word was continually ongoing with God. And the word was continually ongoing God. And so like all capped up in that word was is the idea that it it always was. Jesus is Mr. Always pre-existing. He is older than Christmas, but at Christmas he came in. And so John is introducing Jesus this way. He doesn't have a beginning like you and me, but he entered in time for you and me. And so the very first thing that gets unpacked under the tree, you could say, is that John wants you to know that Jesus is older than what we know and he's always been around. And so all of that wisdom that's bound up, that could be bound up in age, if you could say it that way, is bound up in Christ. He's more than what we see. And so the first thing is Jesus is the always. Second, Jesus is the second Like Jesus is the always pre-existing second person of the Trinitarian God. Look at verse one again. In verse one, it says, in the beginning was the word and the word was, now look at that word. It says with God. And so it separates like one entity into two entities. And so it's saying like this word, which could be very, very clear, the person of Jesus was standing alongside God himself. And so we have two people and this brings us to the idea that we take for granted so often the idea of the trinity, the trinitarian god. And so the with at this point we know that there's at least two, but the Bible shows a consistent pattern of three, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Spirit. Like if you remember, I mean I know we've been in Matthew for like years and eons and eons. Uh, but if you remember way back in Matthew 3, Like at the time of Jesus' baptism, you see all three parts of God interacting with Jesus' ministry starting at his baptism. And so from the heaven, God the Spirit descends and rests upon Jesus. And then God the Father speaks from the heavens, this is my son to Jesus. And then God the Son, the second person of the Trinity, who was with God in the beginning, receives the blessing, receives the Spirit. And so... This idea of a Trinitarian God, like we take it for granted, but man, councils happened to help us interpret the scriptures rightly, to combat lies that were going around about Jesus and bad theology and bad doctrine about who Jesus was. And the very word Trinity comes from the Latin word that means three. Man, every time I go like this, I say three, I think of kindergarten. I know that's super irrelevant, but it matters to me. Um, 
In kindergarten, I met my first twin. And I remember thinking, this is the craziest thing. I mean, I, I should have maybe known that this was possible before, but meeting them, I was like, you guys are like the same person. And, and one of them, his name was Ben. He would always say, man, I wish there were three of us because then we'd be triplets. And I didn't know what that meant. I just knew they looked alike, you know. But the picture that the scriptures give us of God is a Trinitarian God, God three in one. Now, I've had people say, can you even explain that? Could you conceptualize that? I'm like, yeah, man, you draw a picture and you put a triangle in the middle of it, it's done. God three in one. I mean, I just don't think about it more than that. But the Bible goes out of its way to say three in one and introduces Jesus as the second person of the Trinitary God. The always pre-existing Jesus was with God. When I was doing youth ministry, um, the book, The Da Vinci Code, came out. Um, and so I, I read it because I had parents like freaking out, like, man, kids are reading The Da Vinci Code, and in it, it, it tries to paint the picture that Jesus was really just a dude, and he was a really good dude, and he had a baby, and they had to hide that baby because at some point the church was like, let's make him God. And so then you had the Council of Nicaea, which came together to hide all the evidence of the baby and hide all the evidence of all that stuff. And Da Vinci somehow helped with that and painted pictures but left us clues. And uh, I remember they were like, man, kids are reading that. And I remember being like, kids are reading? This is incredible. This is unbelievable. We ought to tap into this thing. And so although the Da Vinci Code, man, it's a fun read. It's horrible doctrine. Horrible doctrine. It's horrible history. It's horrible church history. Like the Nicene Code, like when they came together in Nicaea, they did not come in and say, hey, what can we make up? They came together and said, what do the scriptures say? Like they didn't come to hide things from you. They came to make things clear for you to talk about the fantastic statements that are in the scriptures. They came to do what all Christians still have to do. We have to know the scriptures to combat like heresies and lies about Jesus. And basically they came to combat the two lies that we see all the time. The, the argument of Bible schmeibel. Well, I don't care what it says. I, you know, it couldn't really mean that. They were like, no, it says it. It means it. Or, you know, the whole kind of like everyone actually misunderstood these words from a dead language for 2,000 years ago that I didn't study and can't collaborate with external contemporary writings of the day. But I have discovered that those words really don't mean what they mean because they mean something else and it just happens to go in line with what I want them to mean. That kind of argument. They came together to say, what do the scriptures teach us? And one of the things that they established as orthodoxy was what all the faithful Christians already knew, man. God discloses himself as one God in three persons. And Jesus is the second person of that trinity. And so we see from the very beginning, it says, and Jesus, the word, was with God. Jesus was and is the second person of the triune God who was always wasing because he doesn't have a beginning and he won't have an end, but he entered in. But we actually even see more than that. Like, like look, look down, what we see when it says the word Jesus 
was with God. The with actually could be translated, the word Jesus was continually toward God, which means they were face to face, which is describing a certain kind of withness. It's describing an intimate withness, like a friendship, like a deep, deep togetherness. And so it's like on a date, like looking at each other face to face is right. Taking marriage vows, looking at each other face to face is right. Like the whole tradition of the wedding, of coming down, is the first part of the wedding is you're supposed to face the minister because we're charging you with what marriage is. But then when you come to vows, you face each other because you're making promises of what will be. And so face to face with a loved one is talking about the kind of relationship that Jesus had within the Trinity that he left, that he left, that he walked away, that Philippians 2 says he didn't hang on to it. He let go of it to provide a way for us. And because he provided a way for us and we can enter back into the whole scope of the Bible of how do we get back to the presence of God from Genesis 3 to the very, very end that was revealed in the person of Jesus on the first Christmas morning. The whole point of that is you can be included in that because of what Jesus has done for you. And so when it holds this language that he was with God, face-to-face relationship, it shows the kind of advocate that we have sitting next to the throne of God for us, praying for us and interceding for us. It's that kind of intimacy that he can pull upon. You know, like face-to-face intimacy, it makes sense on a date, but like face-to-face, like looking at someone's face as a stranger is so uncomfortable. Uh, When I was... Little, we had um, a station wagon, not the cool Jeep Wagoneer station wagon with the Briarwood panel. Like, I don't know what it was. I think it was a Buick maybe, but it also had the Briarwood um, on the side. I mean, it'd be awesome now. But it had the bumper back seat. And sometimes we'd have to sit back there and you face backwards. Do you know how awkward that is? First off, you have no idea where you're going and you just wonder what the signs are saying. I'm like, man, I wonder what these signs are saying. I can't see any of them. But then someone pulls up behind you and they know it's awkward for you. So they're smirking, but they just are looking at you dead in the eye like, hey, where are you going? I could read the signs for you if you want me to. And you just want to look anywhere else, not at them because it's awkward. When John talks about this loving relationship, he uses a word that says they were continually toward one another to show the kind of relationship. The gift of Jesus on that Christmas morning, it was precious. Like Jesus let go of the most wonderful relationship you could ever try to imagine to reestablish you in a relationship that you have to have. And John is going out of his way to introduce who this Jesus is. And so first, Jesus is the always. Jesus is the second person of the Trinity. He was with God. But then Jesus is the man. And like, not like Jesus is the man, although Jesus is the man. But like Jesus is the always pre-existing second person of the Trinity who entered humanity on the first Christmas morning. 
And and so look at this. Like we get a hint of it in verse 2, but then it tells us plainly in verse 14. So look at verse 1 and 2. Let's put it together. It says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Now verse 2, He was in the beginning with God. And so this pre-existing second person of the triune God became a he. And then verse 14, like if you're like, well, that's just kind of, you know, how some people talk. Look at verse 14. It nails it down. And it says, and the word Jesus became flesh human and dwelt among us. And we have seen his glory, glory as to the only son from the father, father full of grace and truth. Like look back at at verse 2. Like John tells us so much about Christmas. In Christmas, we receive Jesus, the always existing second person of the triune God who left a perfect relationship with God the Father to be made a he. And that he walked among us to bring us what we find in verse 14 is the truth about God and the grace from God that we need. And so in Jesus is something that we need to know about God. But in Jesus is the grace of God that we have to have. And so John, he skips all the details about, you know, the wise men. And, you know, there's, you know people are like, well, when did the wise men actually get there? Man, it was probably a while. And it skips all the details about, uh, you know, about the shepherds and them being scared to death by the angels, but then coming and saying, man, we got to find this Jesus. He skips all of that. He skips the, the tragedy of, of King Herod, you know, trying to kill Jesus and killing all of the baby borns. Remind us that man, Christmas in this world is broken, but God entered in. But do you see what John is trying to show us? He's trying to show us who this Jesus is and he's going out of his way to say, you cannot come to a point and say, man, Jesus was a good religious leader. If you're gonna go with the scriptures, you have to go with what it says or reject what it says. Don't make up some sort of Bible schmibel argument. John goes out of his way to say, this is what we get in Christmas. This is who Jesus is. And now, Verses three through five, he starts to tell us what Jesus has come to do. And he's gonna say it pretty plainly like this. Jesus has come to pierce the darkness with God's recreative power. And it's done through a message. And so let's take a look at this. Verse three, all things were made through him And without him, not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. So John is wanting to associate, uh, wanting us to associate the new beginning of Jesus with the beginning of everything, the creation story that we find, God's power on display. And so the first thing is Jesus has creative power. He has the creative power of God. Like, and we see that really, really clearly, like kind of walk through this. Like, so we see it in verse one, like it starts with in the beginning, like the Jewish audience would have seen those words and they would have thought instantly of Genesis one and two. They would have thought instantly with like, whatever we're about to say about Jesus, we're saying it is connected with what God did back here when he created the cosmos. 
when he spoke them into existence, when time and time again he said, it's good, it's good, it's good. And then when he came to making humanity, he said, man, it's really good. Let us make them in our image. And so he's saying, man, they would have seen, man, there is some sort of connection being made here within the beginning. But then look at what it does. In verse 3, it explicitly attributes this powerful, creative power of God to Jesus. In verse 3, all things were made through him, and without him not anything was made that has been made. And so like he's saying everything that you see that is good and that is beautiful or is good and beautiful and scarred, it started with the power of Jesus who was with God in the beginning, this triune person who has always been preexistent. Like there is so much packed into this. And this is something the New Testament loves to validate. Like you don't have to look at this, but you could write these down. Like Colossians 1.16, it says, For by him, Jesus, all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through him and for him. He is before all things and in him all things hold together. Like when Paul wrote to the church at Colossae, he said, listen, Jesus has the creative power of God. He's holding all things together. He's not just a mere teacher. He's so much more than that. Or the writer of Hebrews, Hebrews 1, it says, But in these last days he has spoken to us by his Son. And so he's talking about the inauguration of Christmas and then the life and ministry of Jesus and what he said. He says, God, he, he talked to us in so many ways in the past through prophets and through different ways. But now he's talked to us through his Son. And it says, Whom he appointed heir of all things, through whom he also created the world. He is the radiance and the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. And he upholds the universe by the word of his power. And after making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. The writer of Hebrews is going out of his way to support what John is saying here, that Jesus has the creative power of God that created all of the cosmos and holds it together. Or we see 1 Corinthians 8, 6. Yet for us, there is one God, the Father, from whom all things and for whom we exist, and one Lord, Jesus Christ, through whom all things and through whom we exist. Or we could jump to the very end, Revelations 4.11, where it says, Worthy are you, O Lord, O God, to receive glory and honor and power, for you created all things. And by your will they existed and were created. And so John introduces what Christmas gives us, and he says, Listen, Jesus came with all the creative power of God that we see in Genesis 1 and 2. And that is internalized and given, it entered in on Christmas to pierce the darkness and to recreate new life. And so he's connecting the creation power of God in the beginning with the recreation power of Jesus' ministry. And that came to pierce a darkness with life. Look at verse 4. In verse 4, it says that Jesus has life in him. And so it says, in him was life, and the life was the light of men. And so this kind of goes with the idea, like sometimes you look at people and you say, man, they're living, but they're not really living. Like they're alive and they're breathing, but there's something missing inside of them. There's a life that's eluding them. And sometimes around the holidays, that gets so loud in our life. Conflict persists. 
Relationships remain broken. Reconciliation hasn't happened. Like problems are still occurring. It's not what we thought. And we start to think, man, is this really living? And what John is trying to say is the life that you're longing for is in Jesus. There is a life. In him is life. And the life was the light of men. It's what you're looking for. It's what you're drawn to. And then verse five, it says that this life of Jesus is like a light piercing into darkness. Verse five, look at it. The light shines in the darkness. Man, the smallest amount of light pushes darkness back. Uh, One of my Christmas presents that I bought for myself um, that I came in the mail um, and uh, I had to take it out and try it. Uh, It's a headlamp. Um, I have this old headlamp and man, it's pathetic. Like, I mean, you turn it on and you wonder, like you have to take it off and look at it to make sure it's still on, uh, which means it's not accomplished. Well, man, the new headlamp I got, I, I, I planned this all day. I waited till we were getting in bed and when Kinsey turned out the lights, I put it on and then I turned it on and man, it just flooded the room. Like Kinsey was like, I can't see anything. I'm like, I know it's incredible, right? Uh, you bought this for me, by the way. Um, will you wrap it? Uh, and so, but man, the smallest amount of light pushes back darkness and it does it effortlessly. Uh, have you ever done a cave tour? Um, Kinsey uh, grew up in kind of the Missouri area and she used to like go caving. Like they would find a hole in the ground and just crawl in it and find, oh, it's a cave. And I'm like, man, I, she tells me these stories. My heart starts beating fast. I'm like, you know, there's plate tectonics and the earth moves. Like if it just moves a little bit, you may not be able to get out. And she's like, oh, it's so much fun. I'm like, no, no, it's not fun. That's wrong. But we did a cave tour. And this was a long time ago, but in this cave tour, we were the last group to go through. And the guide said, do you guys want to experience cave darkness? And we're in this huge cavern. I mean, bigger than this room. And uh, we're like, well, yeah. And he, he warned us. He said, grab a hold of the rail and then radioed it in. But I didn't pay attention to him. I didn't grab a hold of the rail. Um, and all of a sudden, the light shut off. And I mean, it was dark. Like I instantly started like swaying around, reaching for the rail or somebody to hang on. And I remember thinking about this darkness, like it was overwhelming. It was disorienting. It felt suffocating. Like it was trying to get inside of me. Like I couldn't see the hand in front of my face. And all of a sudden time started to slow down. Your heart rate starts to come up. And and then the guide, he lit a Bic lighter just a tiny little big lighter. And I just remember the warm light coming out from the instantly orientating me where I could let go of the rail. I didn't need to lean onto other things for guidance or I didn't need to lean onto other things for support. I could look at the light and find my bearings. It was like a warmth was coming off it. But the thing is when he lit that, darkness fled from it instantly. The darkness can't overcome it. And so the darkness was overwhelming and disordering and suffocating, but the warm, soft light instantly pushed the darkness away and reoriented me and focused my attention. I found balance and could let go of the rail. Like the connection, like 
of verse 1 in the beginning to verse 5 is Jesus is the light of heaven penetrating the darkness. And it's everything that Christmas is about. The creative power of God made room for life in the pre-creation darkness. Like if you read the account, it says that darkness was all over and God said, let there be light and light brought life into the world. It's what started. And so we see the recreation power of Jesus stepping back in and it's a life that comes like light. So Jesus entered in on the first Christmas to pierce the darkness to bring the divine life that only God can give to us. And that's what John wants you to know. See, God's love is made apparent from the opening lines of John. But it's also made apparent from the opening words of John. Like in the first few words, John calls Jesus the word. I mean, there is so much that can be said about this, the logos of God. Like it, you know, in Greek philosophy, it was the most important divine reason implicit in the ordering and giving meaning to the universe. And so it had all this philosophical meaning. So he chose his word very carefully to relate to both a Jewish audience and a Greek audience to say, the thing that you're seeking to hold all things together, the inner meaning and the inner life that you want to find, it's found in the person of Jesus, who is the logos who is the hidden meaning of God. It's the hidden meaning of God put on display for us. And it's the word. Um, Two weeks ago, uh, a pastor friend, a local pastor friend is retiring and um, for for the celebration, they asked me to share a word. That was what they said. Would you come share a word? And I knew they didn't mean to stand up there and say hippopotamus and then sit down. I knew they meant more than that. I knew they meant that they wanted me to give a message, a message that encapsulated what we're seeing before us, like what we should be thinking about. And so I started to think about ministry. And so he's a local pastor here. He's one of the first pastors that I met. And I mean, sometimes church planters, they come in like they're the, you know, like they're the everything and they're going to fix all the problems here. And I mean, we wanted to come in humbly to join the work of God here. But sometimes pastors are already here. They're like, man, we don't want this arrogant pastor to come in. Uh, But man, this pastor was so gracious and kind always opening up their church. When we were homeless in COVID and we got kicked out of here and we went from a podcast to, uh, you know, 20 house churches where we became televangelists and we had to preach just to a camera, which is awful, awful, awful. I mean, I mean, sometimes you guys don't laugh. The camera never laughs, you know. Uh, when we did, went from that and we couldn't get back into the schools and man, we couldn't get into buildings and so we needed a parking lot. Man, Pastor Joe opened up his parking lot and said, anything you need. When we got rained in, he opened up his sanctuary, said, anything you need. And we needed a little bit bigger sanctuary, so we went to another uh, church. But anything you need was his constant message. And so when I just focused on a word, you know, a message of something I witnessed him, I said, man, I was warned about this before I planted a church. And I saw the encapsulating of the opposite of the warning in you. The warning was sometimes church planners think more like a developer when they should think like farmers. 
And so a developer might come and see a valley and say, man, we push over this hill, we knock over these trees. We could build a shopping mall. And then we rent all these things out. And so we wreck something up quickly. But if you know anything about shopping malls, which if you're young, you may not. Shopping malls were these huge buildings where you could go to a bunch of different stores and walk in the hallways. And old people would go there in the morning and get exercise and then get, uh, you know, a latte or something. And so you could build a shopping mall, but shopping malls are in style for a season, but they fall out of style. And in 20 years, they become vacant. And in 15 years, they're falling in disrepair. Or you could look how the scripture describes the church and the scripture describes the gospel and you go agriculture and you could walk into the same valley and you could think like a farmer. And a farmer looks at the valley and he looks at the problems in the valley and the potential in the valley and he starts to work and break up the soil and he casts vision for something that could feed a thousand generations. Seeing the potential and the danger breaks up the soil and puts the seed in and the seed will grow whether he does anything or not. But then comes alongside and starts to weed the soil and pull rocks out of the soil and water it and fight pests away and take care of it. And then in that moment, it's like the most important thing on the soil is the feet of the farmer. But has no real power to make it grow. And so my word was, I see that in you. You have faithfully farmed this land and fed people that you may not know for generations to generations because you came in like a humble farmer. When they said, would you share a word? I knew it was an encapsulating message that had worth and value. And so when John says, Jesus is the word, it means that Jesus is the message that God wanted to communicate to us. And to get into the message of God that he wants to communicate, you have to first do business with his son, Jesus. And so you could paraphrase this, you know, to say in the beginning was God's message. And ever since creation and then our fall, God has sought to communicate a message of love and reconciliation to us. And so when God was wanting to send the perfect message to communicate to us, he sent us Jesus. Inside Jesus is everything you need to know about God. There's more about God. But inside Jesus, the Christmas story itself is what we behold and why we behold Jesus, we become like Jesus. You know, the Jesus Storybook Bible, Sally Lloyd-Jones, in the story about Jonah, she references John 1 and she says this, at the end of the story of Jonah, who is the bad prophet, the only prophet we can really relate to. You know, God says, go there. We're like, I don't know. Um, He says, no, really go to these people. They're your enemies, but I want to save them. We're like, that sounds like a bad idea. So we run away, but God pursues and pursues and pursues. And then Jonah goes reluctantly. You know, after the whole fish and the spitting up and the, you know, all that stuff. I mean, like that he probably had PTSD for a long time. Um, But he goes reluctantly and probably gives a half-hearted message. But the seed finds fertile soil and produces repentance. And after all of that, this is what she writes. Many years later, God was going to send another messenger with the same wonderful message. Like Jonah, he would spend three days in utter darkness. But this messenger would be God's own son. He would be called the Word. Because he himself would be God's message. 
God's message translated into our own language. Everything God wants to say to the whole world in a person. Jesus is the message you need. If you want to understand God's greatness, look at Jesus. If you want to understand God's intentions, look at Jesus. If you want to understand what God thinks about you, is willing to do the effort and the length of what he will do to come after you, look at this Jesus who was always pre-existing, has never not existed as the second person of the Trinity in a perfect relationship with God face to face, who left the throne of heaven to enter in into fragileness, who had to escape death, but came in as light to push back darkness, who now offers a life, and it's the life you're looking for. John skips all the story that happened on the first Christmas night and Christmas morning. But he skips it to tell us what we have in the presence of Jesus. And so this Christmas, man, we want to take in this message, like take in Jesus, the word of God. Let me pray for us. Lord, man, there's so much in Christmas. And Lord, I, I know... Gosh, man, we're tempted to start grabbing stuff and the worship team is moving up to start playing. But Lord, just in the stillness of a moment, what is the message that I need to embrace about who Jesus is? Is he trustworthy? Can I trust him? What does he say about God's intention for me? What can I know about God through him? And this is one thing that you can know. There's so many things, but one thing you can know God is willing to go to great lengths to reach you. Will you be found by Jesus? Father, we love you and we need you. In Jesus' name, amen. Come when you're ready. Thank you for listening. If you would like more information about Free City Church in Lawrence, Kansas, please visit our website at fcclawrence.com.